Hello, Carlo. Thanks, thanks for joining, and um, uh, I'm glad to see that you do have a scarf on. Um, I am. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, which is obviously, um, you've, you've, I think you've just recently, um, like in the past few months, you, you launched a, a new newsletter, which you've entitled "The Guy with a Scarf." So, may, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what it's about, what, um, what why you set it up, and uh, you know, uh, I guess after what is it, over three decades worth of, of working in the the, the sports media industry, what's what, what led you to, to set up the, the newsletter? And I, I think you've also just launched a, a YouTube channel as well. Yes. So, um, yeah, basically after uh, many years uh, working basically for the same company that was never the same company because it grew from, you know, five to 1,000. And, and we always, I always was so uh, lucky to do something new, something different, basically constantly creating new function creating new roles, uh, potentially <laughs> creating new product for the fans <laughs> whenever we succeeded launching them. <laughs> um, so uh, this new phase uh, is first I'm exploring what to do next, but uh, I already started like 10 years ago having kind of this, like my last role, evangelist, uh, <laughs> uh, for whatever it means, which is a mix of strategy and, and communication you want with product and marketing in the middle. And uh, the story about the scarf is that um, I try to, you know, create original content or strategy or vision for the market. A lot, so I prepare a lot, I study a lot. And then I notice that, you know, me being at conference, sometimes on stage, very often on the front row, because I like to take pictures of people and I want to listen and, you know, it's face to face. I like it more. Uh, it's also easy to escape when you have to leave sometimes, even if it seems different, because if you're stuck in the middle, you cannot leave. And people started noticing the way I dressed. They thought, oh, it's very Italian. It's so fashionably Italian and 90% of my staff were English, but that's another story. And then they'd start mentioning the scarf. And so I was thinking, I, I prepare a lot. I try to create original content, try to say smart things, and they remember the scarf. Oh, come on. And so it became a joke. And from the joke, uh, I had the idea to say just the guy with a scarf. So, so that's that so where it comes from. <laughs> so it's an integral part of your of your branding and your your uh, yeah what what you've be, what you become associated uh, with to differentiate yourself from from everyone else at the conferences. I, I guess now, as you noticed, I have to remember to put it on every time, <laughs> which in summer can be a bit more debatable as a solution, <laughs> I guess. But what kind of what kind of stuff do you talk about on in your newsletter, a guy with a scarf? And um, what do you cover? What, what's most important to you? <clears throat> Matt, to, to be honest, I'm, I've always been following uh, the things that were a bit, uh, not new per se, but that were kind of transformational or were a change agent in, in our sector. That because it was, it's always been so successful, tend not to change per se, because when you're making money in the right way and you know what you're doing and all the models are there, uh, why should you change it? I mean, there are good reasons for changing it, but you know, it's it's an environment where it's through that we always talk about innovation, but very often the core fundamental and it, it could be also sorry, it could be also a, a good thing per se are the same. Like we still have people, you know, <clears throat> playing or acting sport. Um, we have fans that want to to watch them and are at some point somehow. Uh, willing to pay for it directly, indirectly. So a lot of what we have seen is not fundamentally changed. Clearly, 
I think from external sources, there's been a lot of change happening because society around us, uh, the people, the way people consume content, who are the actors in what before was this very, it was called media. There was a media between the content, the sport and, and the audience, right? This has been intermediated with the advent of social, for example. So there are a lot of changes that are impacting, if you want, our industry, our world. Uh, and I've always been fascinated about, okay, as, you know, as a company, as a vendor in our space, uh, where should we look at next? What are our clients trying to build, trying to launch? What is the audience um, interested in? What should we build for the audience that is new and different and maybe protect the value of sport as an industry? That's kind of my area, which could mean uh, recently a lot. It's about streaming direct-to-consumer marketing um, and a lot of the technology around that. But I, I normally am captured by the story. Normally, there is a bit of technology in it. But lately, I see more innovation where technology plays a role, but it's not the story. Like I'm thinking, uh, I don't know, Gerard Piquet King's League or Wrexham FC story with the Hollywood star, you know. So these kind of things say, okay, there is a different way of doing stuff. And nobody designed that before. It's out of the playbook. So yeah, I, guess, I guess it's a bit, a bit of a chicken and egg in, in many situations. Is is has the technology changed the way that consumers consume or is it the demand of how consumers prefer to consume that drives the technology? And I guess they both drive each other. Um, and, you know, the the way in which, say, younger demographics prefer to, to watch sports in bite-sized chunks through platforms like TikTok and not watching entire games but only highlights, you know, that's, I guess, one... But, you know, was that because TikTok existed and because the advent of being able to deliver video clips and, and highlight clips, um, you know, was available, which it wasn't in the past. So I guess they, they feed off of each other and it's sort of this this positive feedback loop. And it's just, you know, it's like a hurricane. You, you know, it's turning around, but you don't know exactly which way it's going. <laughs> but I, so, I, had a, I had kind of an innovation model, like I don't remember because I like to create models so I can explain to others uh, my, my thinking. And I remember my innovation model was based on different pillars. And basically the idea is there is some innovation that starts from technology, some innovation that stems from the audience, some innovation that starts from the sport itself, and some innovation that may start more from the market. Mm-hmm. And normally some are a mix or it starts somewhere and get captured from the other side. You all normally you need a all component to be in sync, otherwise it doesn't work. You could yeah. have a great technology, but the fans don't care. So or the fans want something, they want to for free watch every football game they want. That's a it's an obvious and amazing need. The market is not there for them, right? So normally the if you want the, the innovation that really reaches the success is the one that even if it starts wherever, it aligns all these pillars uh, in, in a way that then it becomes a reality and a successful reality. Because very often we launch stuff and it's not always a success, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I have a quick one because we've obviously talked a little bit about uh, a guy with a scarf in your newsletter, but I think it's interesting why you're so informed in your career um, set you up to have a newsletter like this where you can talk about the industry. Could you maybe take us back to, to the beginning that I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly, Delta Trey, 
right? Ian? Yes. You, you were helping me <laughs> with the pronunciation earlier. Yeah. But maybe you could take us back to the beginning because you, I, I read that you were one of the first five employees and obviously they're now a thousand people plus. So I, I would love to kind of hear your journey with them and, and what led you to this point where now you're such an expert on talking about the, the industry. But I think so. The beginning is I started in 1987, and that was broadcast and and sports data basically. And we were not doing football; we were doing uh, motorsports, Formula One. So being at all Formula Grand Prix because we were managing the data processing system for Olivetti, who was sponsoring as a value in kind as a sponsorship deal with Formula One. And then we did athletics, and then we we were doing Ski World Cup. Then at some point we were doing also MotoGP. At the very beginning, Biaggi do one. And everything was um, being inside, if you want, the product, inside the client, inside the technology, because you were at inside the event, right? Before digital. I was lucky enough in the 94 to discover Mosaic and uh, the first uh, HTTP server, so the web. And I, maybe randomly, but we started immediately focusing with a very small team. We were three people on building website for major sports federation. The first one we launched was in 95 with real-time results for athletics for the World Championship in Gothenburg. And obviously Sweden was already advanced. Telia was the sponsor. The University of Gothenburg were on board. We were debating if using HTML1 or 2. So it was really pioneering times. It was a super cool moment because it, it's a bit like now. I could not be one week on holiday that I would come back feeling formal, nobody called it like that, but it was that because there was something new launched. It was incredible that moment. And there were, there were other moments like that, no, of transformational, like key transformation in, in the digital, in what it became digital. And that brought us to create not only experiences for broadcast and on, on at event, but also create this new, somehow direct to consumer, even if it was not, nobody was paying for anything, a moment in which you started thinking to directly to the audience, more directly to the audience. And that lasted until the end of 90s, uh, where we signed, I think, because in 94, we signed UEFA Champions League, which started our adventure in football, super transformational moment for the company, uh, because Olivetti ended up leaving everything, leaving the sport and dying as a company. Uh, so we had to go to direct to our clients. <clears throat> um, end of 90s, we signed UEFA for UEFA.com and it has to launch in six languages, which at that time it meant I had to hire 30 people in Torino doing website in 1999, which was not an obvious task like it could be now, right? And and that was uh, great because from there we started then, you know, winning other contracts for website and building more FIFA.com and a lot more websites. And at some point in, uh, obviously we were following everything that was happening in social, in mobile, but especially 2007, 2008, we were able to sign NBC Olympics for the .com. At the very moment that uh, Move Networks first and then uh, Microsoft with Silverlight launched the video as that we call today streaming video, adaptive bitrate, uh, etc. And that immediately, uh, one, it was NBC Olympics, so NBC for the Olympics, so you cannot start higher than that in that world. The Olympics is like 160 streams, right? Uh, incredibly complex content to manage, both in terms of organizing, you know, the streaming side of things, the volume, but also 
organizing the discovery of content, the Olympics is, that's not, I, I remember I wrote a blog post at the beginning called Nothing Like the Olympics. I mean, it's honestly, the complexity of the Olympics is, is in parallel today, even today. But that brought us accelerating, <coughs> if you want, our path to immediately become a player in the streaming market, building the first video player, the first CMS, uh, the whatever video platform we put together, etc. And, 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 and that's basically what, what uh, I continue to do for a long time. Uh, I was lucky that, um, and stop me if you, if you want, uh, because I tend to talk for a long, uh, long time. No, carry on. It's, it's, no, really, it's really interesting. And, and uh, my latest, uh, I, I fell in love with different things and different technologies and different functions like creating the user experience that, uh, team in Delta 3 was crucial at a certain moment because I saw that the client was, were trying more to buy from, you know, this design agency that normally didn't know enough about sport to do something reasonable. So that really worked. So we created a team of UX that was also super important at a certain point to always stay where the client buys, especially if you're a solution company and service company, you need to stay where the client buys. Otherwise someone gets in between, you become less strategic and you become commoditized. And the streaming, the latest, uh, if I, NFL Game Pass International was the project that I, I've worked as, if you want an exec sponsor, not directly, but I spent a lot of time because we had the luxury to have full access to the whole direct-to-consumer marketing stack from strategy to execution, the product. So it was a whole operation. Uh, and that was super fascinating because direct-to-consumer marketing is extremely complex, but also once you understand certain aspect and you see that you apply a strategy and you have like week by week targets to reach and you move subscribers and how retention is important, how product and marketing have to play together to grow an audience and to grow revenues. And the fact that you have a paying customer, like you can imagine you know, that there's a person on the other end. It's so much different from normal web and mobile app digital where, I mean, uh, free because you have an audience, you don't have people. In this case, you have people. They write to you at to customer service. They have a problem, they have a new device. So uh, the rationale that you apply, even in designing solution, designing the discovery journey, designing the consumption, inventing the new feature that make them enjoy it for sport in a different way, it's so more tangible. And, and that, that I found fascinating, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I guess, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of the way the industry is <clears throat> very much evolved in in the past, I guess accelerated a lot more in the in the past couple of years is this trend towards uh, personalization of content, which of course you know I think everyone has always wanted it, but the the technology underpinnings to make it possible have just never been there. So that's um, you know that's 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 definitely a you know one of the the key trends that, that you know that we've seen on our side uh, that we're obviously trying to address as well. Just. Uh, in terms of you know your time at, at, at Delta Tray over you know quite a long period of time, I think was it thirty five years? Obviously, you know you've you've seen a tremendous amount of of, uh, of transformation and disruptive technologies hit the market, and you know whether it was you know the transition from tape to to file based um, video capture, um, as well as you know the transition of, of, of you know, distribution from, you know, analog to, you know, dig digital in the form of um, SDI feeds and, and now more recently in terms of IP feeds. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, you, you're probably familiar with, uh, there's a famous book called The, the Innovator's Dilemma. 
<laughs> which is it is all about Absolutely. you know how how, how yeah. companies that that grow to become big they find it very difficult to keep up with the latest trends because they're, they're too busy servicing their installed base whereas you know the, the, i think that the core takeaway i remember when, when i worked for silicon graphics many years back our cto sort of you know uh, this was part of his um part of his core sort of keynote speeches was always about the competition always comes from behind you know the startups have the luxury of not having to to work on an install base and a legacy um so you know obviously the, the whole thing around big companies you know i think the likes of mm-hmm. ibm creating skunk works i mean did, did you have sort of skunk works or did you have the flexibility within delta trade to sort of you know, forget about the here and now and the existing customers and like, you know, have a, an, a, an innovation team that we're really about looking at the new, new things that's, that would but, take things forward and make sure that you didn't get behind mm-hmm. as, a, as, 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 as a vendor. I think the, so there, there are two factors. One, um, it, uh, the company grew organically. So there was uh, an innate freedom of proposing something new. Second, sorry, more factors, but so more from inside. You could not go to a client for a contract renewal. That very often was two, three years or even less, or new season. You cannot go to an end of season or start of season preparation meeting without something new. I mean, it's not, I always said, we're on a train. If you stand still, you're going backward, right? So you have to it's not that you can stand still and say, okay, we've done it this year, we'll do it again. This Our world never worked like that. We always need to show why, and that's the, the reason for companies that can keep clients for many years. You constantly try to find, not, not something new per se, but you always try to focus on, normally I always did it from the fans to the client to the vendor, if you want. I always try to start from the fans. This is happening, we can serve them better. So you... We could build something for you that makes the fans, whatever, happy, more engaged, blah, 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 whatever the, the target was. And you, we could do it together, blah, 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 blah. And eventually that would obviously benefit also the company. But it, it's not possible to go to someone in our sector and say, okay, let the same as last year, even a season. It doesn't work. So they wouldn't, they say, oh, well, why, why are we with you? That was like the standard. So it was if you want the luxury of having these high-level clients, very demanding, that created a, a DNA of a group of people that always were looking at, okay, can we improve that? And can we do something more? And can we create, oh, we saw something they were doing in the music industry or you know whatever industry, we can apply it here and we do something that was never done, but it's very useful because this is the way people are, you know, started consuming blah, 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 content in a certain way. And I think, and that was one. And the second one, I see the difference now. One is not only internal, it's not only how your company speak, that is a component, clearly a component, but how mature is the market? So I re- and how structured are the clients? I remember times in which from the beginning is, I had an idea, I would have my two people develop it, it would be live in one week or two weeks, okay? Now all components are different. So. Uh, there, there is more process because you're a bigger company. Clients have bigger structure. Like in the past, maybe they had one digital guy. So you just need to convince and, and someone that you work with uh, very well, they trust you. So we could launch in one month a new feature, even substantial one. Now the market is different. So everything is so more mature. 
right? That it doesn't work. Even if you have the greatest idea and the greatest execution, it won't take one month. So to me, I always saw it as we were lucky that we, had, we lived that moment of pioneering times. Where also, if you failed, oh, it was the web, in this case, it was the website. Obviously, if you fail on broadcast at the few World Cup, that's a different story. But if you fa fail, or I mean, normally we would, we had this story of <laughs> being able, like uh, mechanics in Formula One, we can put our ad, our hands in the engine during the the race, and we would solve things like in minutes, while more structured software company would fail because they would prepare like crazy, and then they launch, and then it's live sport, and then something is different, and it doesn't work, and they don't don't know how to fix it, right? So I think it was such a specific moment and such a specific industry that that was part of the fun. And if people have fun working together, imagine what, normally you create cool stuff. And you have receptive clients on the other end, ambitious because they're, you know, this big federation, media groups, etc. And there was this kind of race to excellence, a race to create the, new, the, the thing that, you know, deliver more joy to the fans or in the end, more revenue for the companies. I think it, it was kind of a race, to be honest. That's yeah, the way I, I lived it. So, certainly, I think, you know, delivering delivering live sports entertainment is probably one of the most challenging um, areas of, of the entertainment industry in terms of, you know, you need to deliver faultlessly at high quality um, with, you know, with new innovation, you know, at every... Know, every season so that uh, you know to your point earlier on so you're not uh, you know it, it's not just you as a company that's that needs to you know deliver to clients but it's the you know the broadcasters the media companies themselves that are a product that need to show new innovation to to the fans as well so mm -hmm. and so, so what, i mean i think something you said uh, resonate because uh on one end, very often I, th I thought when you compare with other people around you in other sectors, we're doing a useless, uh, we're really useless. I mean, we do something that is totally useless on one end because and I compare it in this phase, in this year with the doctor or with some. But then you see, I, I noticed once I was, uh, I think, Southern Italy in the holidays, there was a, I don't know, a game on TV, like national game on TV. It could be Euro, I don't remember when. And we just drive through this village and clearly everybody was at home uh, you know, enjoying that moment. And, and we just, with my wife, say, wow, so we're not so useless. We kind of bring some, you know, moment of enjoyment to people. On the other end, uh, especially streaming, not only, you know, creating content distributing, but especially streaming, we have learned. Uh, everybody has learned now because I, I created this fun um, uh, website, uh, streaming live sports is not easy.com copying a bit uh, uh, English comedian in the US, uh, John Oliver, that every time he wants to provocate, it creates a domain name and takes the domain name. <laughs> so I really did it. It exists. Because, uh, you know, everybody has burned uh, their ends. But now we saw Amazon, YouTube, Apple, Netflix <laughs> failing in live sport or live streaming which is a sign of you, you really need to put this huge value, complex value chain, because if a single place of in the value chain fails, everything fails. And there is a bit of impredictability. The, the CDNs are strong, but very complex to understand. So there's a lot of places 
where you can fail. While normally th there were some, I remember some blackouts in broadcast, which was like the story of the month of the, of the year. But the, the, the distribution channel, the chain in broadcast is so much more solid, right? The moving part in streaming, not completely under your control, are much more. And so that's a, an area where we definitely, in terms of uh, scale and many other aspects, it's important to improve as an industry, I guess. Do you think it's getting easier, though, with technology? And maybe not just on the top tier, but going down lower tiers is streaming sports getting easier on what so yes there are so many solutions available that normally work well so yes but i mean uh, i created the website like one month ago because we had not not huge in terms of but big names fail into streaming not huge and then we have india where uh, they, they do 24 sorry 32 million concurrents which is beyond i don't think we can do it in in, in europe or in the us i, I don't know I haven't, we haven't done it so <laughs> Uh, it, it's still, I think, all the pieces are there. Uh, how you put the pieces together may be the, the key now, to be honest. And I, I know, I mean, you as a company also are involved in a big portion of, 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 of the chain. So what is your experience there? Are you seeing more stability? It's easier. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, where where we as a company have really tried to, to provide value to the market is, is in some respects, you know, if we, if we forget that we're a technology company, what, what we're trying to do really is, is help, you know, sp sports organizations and competitions that would otherwise not be able to, to create and disseminate their content to actually do so and, and to create a commercial model for them that, you know, otherwise would otherwise not exist because the barriers to entry are just too high. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's something that I guess couldn't have been done until all the, all the component pieces that are mm -hmm. necessary to make it happen are there. And, you know, for us, it's, you know, big portion of that is of course, you know, the internet, but the internet's been around for a while, but mm -hmm. I guess it's more the, you know, the, the, the cloud computing infrastructure, which en enables a lot of high performance computing to be done centralized on, I guess, mm -hmm. a, in theory, an infinite amount of, 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 of compute. Um, so it's, you know, so that's one thing, but, but also, you know, the, the, other, the other converging forces of, um, you know, high availability of connectivity. So, you know, connectivity, mm -hmm. both on venues uh, but equally in the last mile to, you know, to, 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 to fans as well. And, and the, the huge amount of devices that you can consume content on now. So I think it's, um, you know, for us, I think where, where we focused is, is really to try and, um, enable mid tier sports organizations and competitions to, to be able to have a voice on the market and to create content and deliver it to fans and, and therefore, be a catalyst for, 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 for you know, for, for, for their sports ecosystem and to, to, to create, you know, monetizable content and, you know, to create this virtuous circle so they can, they can have content that they can monetize and engage with fans and more fans equals, you know, more potential sponsors, uh, which brings more money into the ecosystem to improve the game, et cetera. As it is up until now, it's, it's really been the, the reserve of, of the top tiers of sports that have been able to do that. Mm. But, um, but I think, you know, one thing, we, one thing we are seeing as well, I think, is that, 
although we're focused on on sort of the mid the mid to, to lower tiers of the sport, you know, and I'd be interested in your in your in your take on this. I think the at least the building blocks of what we have, you know, if if you extend out the um, the the innovation curves on all of the components, there isn't really anything. If you can imagine, you have AI based capture from multiple angles around the venue at a very very high quality. Can you know? There isn't really anything stopping you from producing automated content at a very, very high level. Which mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think it's going to. It's. It, I think we're some way off being able to mm-hmm. uh, replace, you know, human-directed and, and human-captured content. But I think it would be very much maybe complementary parallel contents that would would sit alongside the traditional uh, broadcast, um, you know, production and direction. Uh, to you know, to service some of the other stakeholder uh, end applications, and you know, especially with with younger demographics uh, for mm-hmm. content to be consumed on digital devices in a infinitely personalized way. So, you, um, to to be honest, two things. So, just on the last thing you said, because otherwise I I I, I will forget. I just I was at lunch with my son, eight years old, uh, football player. Incredibly enough, my only son boy is playing football even if i tried to avoid that but i couldn't escape and we were watching uh, i don't know i don't remember or maybe the zone there was a a series of um on on players there, and there was the the ic milan player because he's playing with milan so even if they're in torino playing for milan and basically there were images of what this goalkeeper that is a famous goalkeeper player because he wanted to be a player as a kid and so as a goalkeeper he plays a lot in the in the pitch inside the the team he is amazing what he does uh, normally clearly all the cameras are or what the action is but he goes like to the midfield and he plays the you know the the, the players in he's basically directing and it's, it's incredible what he it does. It's like you could have a camera on him the whole match, and that's a show. And it's a very humble boy then. Eh? It's not like Ibra or people like that. So there's so much that you lose when you have to do the one linear broadcast, which is whatever camera, one moment, it's linear because it's live and you have to be linear. But the fact that there is a lot of content available, uh, if you can, you know, so the, the, I think the technology helps to make it sustainable. You need to make it meaningful. AI can help you at a certain point of evolving to make it meaningful, again, being more sustainable. And then you can, you can create the super craft storytelling. But I think what technology in terms of sustainability of capture and AI in terms of preparing content for you to create the super cool story that everybody wants to watch can be an enabler in that sense. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, it's certainly, you know, AI based production, uh, you know, lowering the barriers to, of, of, of cost to, to, to entry into, into production. I think it's certainly, you know, the volume of live sports content that, that can now be captured and, you know, for a variety of different stakeholders, but, you know, to your point, being able to capture capture certain games that otherwise wouldn't be captured and to capture everyone that's on that field of play and yeah. to pick out moments of interest. and. You know, I think what was what was it a few years ago where, you know, the 
the the best goal of the year. I think that FIFA awarded was was to a, yeah, yeah, yeah. a clip con- a clip that was collected on a, on an iPhone. So yeah. that kind of content, you know, there'd be there's so many more of those kinds of goals around, but they're never captured. Mm. Um, and you know, and equally, you know, not every e- even on mid tiers mid mid tier tournaments and, and competitions of sport, uh, there's you know the, the you know, if, if we look at if we look at say the, the the World Cup as an example, you've got I don't know forty plus cameras. It goes up yes, every single yes. every single yeah. World Cup. But yeah, yeah. So you, you know you're you're going to have every piece of action captured there. But on mid tiers, you're never going to have all the action captured, and and it's always going to be, you know, the, the the best action was not captured from 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 the from the standard broadcast cameras. To to be honest, uh, there is an expectation. I think from from the audience, in the audience, from from people, that everything is available. So I I found myself going to these uh, you know kids football games that if I'm distracted they score a goal, I'm like pissed off because there is no replay, there is no way to rewatch it, and I'm I mean so I should know what I'm doing there, but it, it, it's an instinct. Say like, what I, I I couldn't watch it again. What, what so at the same level there is an expectation that. Every event of sport event is somehow documented and available. And, and both are not true. So not all games, but even in certain, I would say, mid-tier two, not everything has a proper broadcast production because it's incredibly expensive. And you saw the discussion in, in, uh, in the UK this year with Wrexham, et cetera, not being able to broadcast, to, sorry, to distribute their games, like, uh, or rugby, they're not available, which, I mean... It's like with the technology and the, of today is like incredible. I understand that economically, financially is not sustainable maybe to produce and distribute a, a game, but it seems there's something wrong. So there, there, there is, if you want an arbitration possibility, if the technology may, can make it sustainable, there's still people that want to watch it. Even in, in, in Serie A, I have people say, oh, but whatever, sorry, don't want to mention Klaus, but La Spezia, Verona, which was, by the way, the play, the play out. So it was a great game and they had a lot of people watching, but in general, during the season, maybe it's not a high, but there's still people wanted to watch. So it's more aligning, if you want audience expectation and what the technology and the, and the process you put together can make it sustainable. Because I don't think well, it's true that nobody cares. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Well, well, just sort of, um, obviously we've talked a lot about sort of up until now, where, where you're obviously focused and have always been focused on sort of the, the new new things and, and and the future. Where where do you see sort of what what do you see as being the the key uh, or some of the most exciting new technologies that that will have you know some of the biggest impacts so over the next uh, couple of decades in in sports production? Um, and but, where, uh, where do you, where do you think they're going to impact the most? But. It is, I, I'm, I'm recently focused more on non-technology innovation, so but that's not the question I have to say because it's answer. more could be the answer though. No, uh, could yeah, could be, but no, it's more. I think uh, I'm always fascinated that someone can create a business in our industry without being inside. So they created outside. There was this company in the US called Overtime that created this um, Gen Z platform for basketball player to show what they were doing. In the end, they created some events and now, the, now they had an investment. I don't remember if from Amazon, etc. So these things are like, because it's, it's outside the model and the model is so uh, ingrained that at some point becomes a bit boring for me. So on one end, 
the, the technology, I, I, I'm mostly I'm, I'm a product person, so I will start from the experience. The fact that we have not yet um, found uh, a proper way to really leverage what digital, without going to spatial computing, but the digital that is available broadly today, we have not really uh, improved a lot the experience of watching or consuming sport a lot. That's, I see still space there. Obviously, every innovation, you need to, you know, balance it with familiarity. So those innovations that I, I always use the example of the, you know, the score bug in football, which was introduced, I think, in the 70s by David Hill in the UK ITV. That's a super simple innovation, but it was so transformational because it was super simple and it's still there today. You remove it like you're in swimming if you remove the AR of the, you know, where the, the line of the record you lose something, right? So very often innovation has to go with familiarity, otherwise you don't get it adopted. The fact that with this kind of technology, it, it, has, it can be a bit less mainstream because if you do something in broadcast, it really has to work for everybody, right? Because if you make 25% happy and 75% unhappy, it doesn't work. With digital in theory, you can create a version for the 25, a version for the other 25 and so on. So the fact that we are still using a bit, and I use very often the, just to keep football as a sport, the highlights, they're basically the same as when I was a kid and I can tell you it was a long time ago, right? Uh, nobody has tried to innovate the highlights that in the end, it's a sequence of goal and to, I mean, with the AI production, uh, you could do a lot more, you know? At the same, obviously, being sustainable, I don't need a, an Hollywood director to do the highlights because I, I can do twice a year, so it wouldn't work. But I think, and that's where, again, AI, I was doing AI at the university in 85, just for everybody. AI existed before November 2022, we know, right? It's in all what you're doing. It has been in all what we're doing. It's in all these devices we have. So... AI, if we, and, and, and not saying that generative AI can be an accelerator in certain areas. I don't think in terms of, it, there are areas where the, and I, I stay away for the moment from, you know, bias or the threat of AI, but more in terms of how it can disrupt an industry or less. Sport at the end is born with the, with the human activity, right? At the beginning of everything, there is a human activity. If you want, a threat for sport was gaming becoming e-sport, where if people loved more watching FIFA E-World Cup than watching real football, that was a threat, right? And it didn't, some e-sport at the moment, I, I read recently an article, I don't remember from the New York Times, that was saying that it, it's not growing as expected, especially post-pandemic. So there's some disinvestment. Some, so it's a moment where e-sport is not like, you know, uh, a rocket at the moment. So if that didn't disrupt sport, uh, even we have, you, you may have seen uh, the the recent uh, the two tennis player playing that are generated by AI, and it seems like play. So if you don't watch the, it seems like real. But would we really be engaged knowing that? I mean, it's models, uh, AI models playing one against the other. I don't think you have the, <laughs> there's no storytelling there, I guess. Eh? Then we'll see. And I, I mean, five years, I may be wrong, but I think that's not something that, that is really, but the fact that it can accelerate, make more sustainable, um, a lot of the production and it shouldn't, uh, I mean, a bit on the positive side, I wouldn't be scared 
I would more be intriguing how I can use it. So, for example, if I give uh, someone that is using a normal uh, highlight production software, a software where I can generate with ingesting all the video of, say, one leak, I can generate highlights by with a chat interface where I can ask, okay, make it longer, make it shorter, give me more goals, and it works well, and then maybe I can customize it a bit. Why not, to be honest? If someone will yeah. lose a job, maybe, or you can create more content because the, the one thing that I, again, the transition is still not there in the mentality of people. With digital, there is no scarcity of content distribution. There is scarcity of attention, which is another story, right? So if you create three versions of an highlight and it costs you the same as create one, you may reach more people. In linear, no. Yeah. I think no, I think uh, I think you're right. Definitely. I, I mean, hope the, it was not too convoluted. Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. I mean, it's, I think I think you you hit the nail on the head with AI. I mean, I think you you use it where it's appropriate and where it adds value to the storytelling. You know, it's all about you know you're trying to tell a story. You're editorializing the content, and you know I think if if AI can help with that, um, then you know the the whole purpose behind editor- editorialization is not just to, to, to tell a story, but tell a story in a way that creates an emotion so that, you know, people in villages that you're driving through, you can hear them <laughs> cheering and, and, and getting excited because it's being presented to them in a really, really, um, you know, entertaining manner. So, but yeah, and I think, you know, we're obviously, we, we're touching on some aspects of AI and I think we'll continue to, to use AI as well where it's appropriate in, in our product portfolio, but it's, uh, it's certainly not going to be, it's not going to solve everything in, in, in sports production distribution. But, but it, For it, example, but it the fact that limb, limb tracking is becoming so much more relevant and precise, mm-hmm. that could, could create a lot of new content formats, for example. Because in yeah. the past we saw it, it was embarrassed. So I, I saw it, I remember a trip I did in Germany of five days visiting all the different companies doing limb tracking. It was very complex. You had to, so it was unusable. Now I've seen certain limb tracking, uh, you know, and, and 3D recreation that are impressive. So that can open another, you know, segment of content creation formats, etc. Because you can replicate, you can play with that. In, and the, the web broadcast technology doing it, but you know, it's yeah. not the same. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I think that's another opportunity, I guess. One, actually, one last question, actually, very quickly from my side. Um, I, I saw you'd, you'd um, highlighted on, on your uh, newsletter about the, the recent release by Apple of, of the Vision Pro platform. And, you know, it got, when, when, I, when I saw it um, being announced as well, I, I immediately thought about, you know, how, how is this, how, how could this be relevant to, to our business as well? And, you know, the one thing I thought about was, of course, you know, we're, we're collecting the full field of view through a panoramic display and, you know, giving that, if, you, if, you're, if you're giving that panorama to every single consumer and giving them the ability to maybe have a, have a virtual experience of being wherever they want to be in the stands and, um, and seeing the full, you know, giving, giving them the same experience or as close an experience as possible to being at the venue without being there. Do you yeah, think that's, I, that's something that, that might, I mean, it's obviously early days with Vision Pro, but uh, do you think that's sort of the, the, the potentially a killer app for, for the, um, the use case of it in, in live sport? But to be honest, so I, I like that you call it a platform because that's what it is. It's not a device. No, it's clearly 
a new a new approach to computing that uh, that obviously needs the device for a certain part of it. I think the so <laughs> I have a bit of story there. So I, I uh, we with Nokia we launched uh, in uh, 2016 Champions League Manchester City against I don't remember. Uh, we launched the first uh, 360 cameras with Nokia Ovo. I don't remember the name. I don't want to say wrong names. And if you remember David Guetta uh, opening Euro 2016 in Paris, there was a black ball where he was uh, mixing, and that was a Nokia camera <laughs> that we placed. So in, in like a few months, we were able to do this, you know, 360 alternate. Uh, and clearly, um, I mean, 360, and we created a VR experience with the company, uh, another company. It was very rudimentary. It didn't really give a lot of value to the fans. And it's funny because some of the images you saw in the Apple presentation with the multiple screen, that's exactly what we did in 2016. Quality was not the same, the fluidity was not the same, but the concept was there. At, at that moment, is what was really a success. When normally uh, Apple then does it, it becomes a success, but that's another story. In general, I also um, had a bit of a, always the, I think it was again Euro 2016, I was able to have av available the images from the spider cam, right? And they use it rarely, but uh, and I was able to, so basically just see for a complete match, I, I did it as a test, the spider cam. It's not a bad view <laughs> if you could maybe, you know, if you, and it was used for the director. So if you just think I'm producing with spider cams, it's not a bad, and, and you can put it a bit more around you, which we did with a trick. It's not a bad view. And it's completely not like being in the stand, you're flying on the game, right? So. I'm not sure is that that we need to create being on the stand, okay? It's more, can we create a different experience that is more immersive than flat screen only? Uh, or being, a, because honestly, when you're at the stadium, the emotion is there and your eyes helps you to focus. But if you put the camera, you see little dots moving. It's your brain that helps you focus on the images, right? Because the way the eye move, it <clears throat> can help you see what is happening with more focus mm -hmm. than what is. It's like when you when you see an amazing moon and you take your camera and you shoot the moon and it's a it's a little <laughs> white dot in the in the black sky. It's the same thing. So I think maybe this technology will bring a, 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 an immersive experience that is unreal, that is not being understand, that is not being on TV. Uh, but it's something more emotional. That that is an op I mean, a scenario. Maybe it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, Carlo, we, we've taken up a lot of your time, and we appreciate you sharing us, yeah. uh, sharing with us your insight and your, your career and and what you think of the future. Where can people find you? Where can they subscribe to your newsletter? Follow you on Twitter, your YouTube channel. Uh, where's the best place to yeah to see your content? But first, uh, thank you for your patience to listen to my ramblings for such a long time. No, we love it. <laughs> thank you for hosting me. <laughs> great. Uh, so, uh, the, the, yes, you said I have many challenges. I'm trying to understand which one. I, I recently, as Ian was nice to say, launched my YouTube channel with few with my friend advise my videos that know what to do with YouTube. Uh, I've also launched last night a podcast, but still in stealth mode with the same similar content. But I think on, on LinkedIn is a good starting point, Carlo De Marquis. 
Um, and my, my newsletter on LinkedIn is a guy with a scarf. I, I post uh, regularly. Um, and, and from there, yeah, we can chat and, and have conversation, which is very enriching. The, the luxury of being independent, I have a lot of vendors more open to talk to me. I'm learning a lot, to be honest, especially about the vendor space. Which And I think what, what you're doing with this podcast is interesting because um, there is a lot of conversation events about the, our client space, the strat, which is right. That everything started, everything started from the fans, then our client space, so media and sport companies. I don't think there is enough conversation about the vendors, meaning what, I don't know, it would be nice, even if many vendors are competing, to have a conversation about what have we seen are clients internalizing more? Are they really going, whatever, remote production? I don't think there is many channels where this can be discussed. And I think th this podcast is a good idea for that. Amazing. Well, we appreciate your, your kind words there. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to, to more posts from you and, and more insight on, on your newsletter and your various channels. So thank and you, Carlo, for joining us. Thank you. And I will yeah, try thanks, to convince, uh, and we try to convince the club where my son plays to adopt your technology so I can finally watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. <Yeah. laughs> okay. You Thank know, you. you know who to call. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Thank you.